This is Eric Krakauer, and you're listening to the Sulesome Podcast. Simoš, bending one for Torres. Eusebio. Oh, my word! Have you ever seen anything like that? He's got for Simão. A passar por dois adversários, Simão. A tentar obter o gol a Figo. E a bola é gol! And we welcome you to episode number 52 of the Slesson Podcast, a proud partner of Portugal.net and a member of the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. My name is Danny Pinto. I am your host. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to another episode of the pod as we have reached the final phase of World Cup qualifying for the Slesson as uh, these next two matches will determine if Portugal will punch their ticket directly to next year's World Cup or if we will have to uh, see the Slesson try to get to Qatar via the dreaded playoff. Uh, with two matches left to go, they are Thursday, November 11 in, D- in, in Dublin against Ireland and then the final group match uh, against group leaders Serbia on Sunday, November the 14th. That game will be taking place in Lisboa at the Istadio, the Luge. We will preview both of the matches as well as each of the opponents with two guests on episode number 52. First, we preview the Ireland match with Fergal Brennan of the Football Sports Daily Podcast, and then we will end uh, with Milos Dusanovic of the Serbian football show as we look ahead to the winner-take-all showdown at Deluge. So there's a lot to get to for you on this episode. We greatly appreciate you guys listening and for your continuous support of the show and in the numerous ways you do so. Uh, first and foremost, go to and bookmark our website, slesompod.com. Follow us on Twitter at slesompod. Like and share our Facebook page, facebook.com slash slesompod. Check us out on Instagram at slesompod and email the show slesompod at gmail.com. You can uh, subscribe to the show via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so many other podcasting platforms by simply searching the Slesson Podcast. And if you haven't done so already and you feel so inclined, uh, head over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star rating, and perhaps drop a positive word or two about the show. Every little bit helps in the quest to grow this podcast and get us to more and more people around the world. So, uh, so before we get to our interviews, let's remind ourselves of where we currently stand. Group A of FIFA World Cup European qualifiers. Uh, Serbia has played seven matches. There's a total of eight matches overall in the group. Uh, seven matches uh, played for Serbia. They have won, uh, won five, drawn two, lost none, and sit atop with 17 points. Portugal has, uh, as I mentioned, two matches against Ireland and Serbia. And again, for all intents and purposes, that last one against Serbia is uh, for all the marbles here uh, in the group. Uh, Portugal with five wins, one draw, zero losses. The one draw against the uh, the Serbians uh, back in Belgrade. Um, Portugal take on Ireland in Dublin. And then Portugal take on Serbia in Lisboa. Here is the scenario for the Slesson. 
a Portugal win on Sunday versus Serbia wins the group, no matter what they do uh, against uh, against Ireland on Thursday. So a win on Sunday against Serbia, Portugal will go directly to the World Cup as group winners. Two draws against Ireland and Serbia uh, wins the group for Portugal based on goal differential because both will finish with 18 points, but uh, Portugal currently uh, lead in goal differential uh, 12 to 8. In terms of Serbia winning the group, which we don't obviously want to think about, but here is the scenario. Serbia wins the group if they beat Portugal on Sunday. Um, they also win the group if they draw with Portugal on Sunday and Portugal loses in Ireland on Thursday. So uh, a lot of moving parts, but obviously the most important thing is Portugal has control of their future. So if Portugal takes care of business in uh, on Sunday and, uh, and wins, you know, Thursday really doesn't matter, um, but you obviously want to make sure that uh, you put yourself in the best position to qualify, but to qualify directly, which has been the expectation uh, throughout this group and uh, should be the expected outcome uh, for all us fans and for the Federation, to be to be perfectly blunt. Uh, this is a group, uh, when it was drawn, um, had all the markings uh, of a group that Portugal should, uh, should win. Uh, it does seem like we're leaving it to the end, but I mean, Five wins in, in six matches, um, and the only draw against the the uh, the second best team, in my opinion, in the group. Obviously, there was controversy in how that match ended, but um, you know, it, it, if if they win out, they win the group by five points, and that to me is you know, you win the group by more than uh, a game left on your schedule if you look at it via uh, a points you know uh, a point differential there. But anyway. Um, that's the scenario uh, for both Portugal and Serbia, and, and obviously uh, all eyes will be on that match on uh, on Sunday, November November the 14th at the Luge. As for the men chosen by Fernand Sanch uh, to take us directly to Qatar as uh, as uh, Group A uh, winners, uh, goalkeepers Rui Patricio, Anthony Lopes, and Dio Costa, defenders Ruben Dias, Pep, José Font, João Concelo, Nelson Smith, Diogo Dalot, uh, and uh, Nuno Mendes. Uh, midfielders, uh, Danilo Pereira, João Palinha, Mateus Nunes, William Carvalho, Ruben Neves, Bruno Fernandes, João Mário, Renato Santos, and João Moutinho. And forwards, uh, Captain Cristiano Ronaldo, Bernardo Silva, Rafa Silva, João Félix, André Silva, Diogo Jota, and Rafael Leão. Now, some roster news following the call-up. That, uh, the call-up was uh, this past Thursday. Um that would have been uh, November the 4th. Uh, some news that came on Monday, November the 8th, uh, was that Anthony Lopes, Rafa Silva, and João uh, Mario, uh, they were ruled out uh, by the uh, by the training staff uh, due to fitness or injury. Uh, nothing serious, but just uh, just not, uh, not fit uh, for these upcoming matches uh, by the medical staff um, in their place. Uh, three are out, two are in. Uh, goalkeeper uh, José Sá and forward uh, Gonzalo Guedes. Some other roster news coming out of the Slesson camp on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday the 9th, was that Bernard Silva did not participate in training due to some sort of uh, muscle injury, and that's all that we could get from uh, Urecord. Um, as of this taping, um, Fernand Sanch took the podium on Wednesday the 10th, and he is hoping that uh, Bernard Silva will be available um for the match against Serbia. So it looks like he will be out or at least unavailable, maybe unavailable to start, but probably unavailable in totality 
uh, against Ireland on the 11th, but uh, is hopeful for him to be available on the 14th uh, against Serbia. The rest of the roster uh, is a is a full go. Um, now, even though he was a participant in training, uh, left back Noon Minj, he will be out of Thursday's match against Ireland uh, due to a yellow card uh, accumulation. Um, and with Rafael Gajairu, uh, not available in this call-up due to injury. Uh, Portugal will be without a natural left back for the upcoming match against uh, against Ireland. So um, you have Diogo uh, Law, you have uh, Gonzalo, you have Nelson Smith. All of them have played on the left side of the defense um, in the past. So you have some cover there. But then you have another issue, and I mentioned I mentioned uh, Jean Gonzalo. He is one of six players uh, heading into the Ireland match on a yellow card. Um, it's uh, Jean Conselo, Ruben Dias, José Font, João Palinha, Renat Santos, and uh, Diogo Jota. Now, that's potentially four or five starters uh, on yellow cards uh, with a deciding match against Serbia three days later. Um, and that's putting Fernand Santos obviously in a very precarious position. Uh, on uh, on how to choose his starting eleven for for Ireland, um, I can make an argument that um, you sit Gonzalo Diaz, Palinha, Nat Santos, and Jota, and you leave Font to play uh, alongside uh, Pep. Uh, the Law and Smith can can each play uh, the left side, and you can save uh, you know João Gonzalo. Um, for you know the matching in Serbia, or even bring him on uh, in the second half if you needed him uh, and his and his skill set, um, you know, for a goal or for crosses or anything like that. Um, I think where Fnansanch can can hold off uh, playing is uh, is in the midfield and and up top with Renat Sanch and Jota. Both those players obviously uh, add a a uh, each uh, add an element to the uh, the Portugal attack. But I think the depth there is is more favorable um, to sitting them uh, uh, against you know the depth at at, uh, at the defensive side. Um, I I feel that Conselo, Diaz, and Palinha would be the toughest ones for me to drop. Um, but I. And especially with Serbia, I mean, because Serbia is again, it's a winner-take-all match, so uh, you want your best players available for that match uh, because it is a final. It is for the group, and as much as I hate to sit my best players in qualifiers, um, I would in this scenario, I would sit Conselo and Diaz and Palinha uh, at the very least, um, and, and make sure that. Uh, or give them the best chance possible to be available um, for for Serbia. Uh, if you want to bring them on as as subs uh, later on in the second half, um, if the game dictates that in uh, in Ireland, uh, so be it. But I I would, you know, this this team without those three guys should still beat Ireland in Ireland. Um, and I know how that match in uh, in Portugal against Ireland went. Obviously. Uh, Ronaldo had to had to save us at the end with uh, with two goals uh, where we were losing up until the 88th 89th minute something like that so um, but but I still feel that 
you can get the result, any result really, um, a result that you need uh, for the uh, uh, without those three guys in the lineup against Ireland. So, um, again, I, I would sit them, uh, given the scenario that if they picked up a second in Ireland, they're out of Serbia, or they're out for Serbia, I should say. And then that's that's the uh, the real predicament that you don't want. So um, a lot of a lot of decisions to be made uh, by Fernand Sanch. They're not easy ones, but I think uh, these are more logical. And and it'll be it'll be interesting to see um, what that lineup looks like against Ireland and what uh, Umister has up his sleeve uh, for those players uh, on yellow cards. And, and again, if let's say for instance none of them pick up a yellow card um, against Ireland. And then they pick up a yellow card against Serbia. That uh, that two yellow card accumulation suspension would not carry over uh, to World Cup uh, quali- to the World Cup at all. Uh, that according to uh, to FIFA.com. So uh, all to play for, obviously, in these two games, um, but especially in that game against Serbia. But uh, but we will take a look right now and uh, and preview the game against Ireland. And uh, we are uh, thrilled to have uh, Fergal Brennan of uh, the uh, the Football Sports Daily Podcast as uh, he and I preview the Ireland match taking place on November the 11th in Ireland, in Dublin, as uh, you're listening to episode number 52 of the Sless on Podcast. All right, everybody. So uh, we appreciate everybody uh, loose listening uh, to uh, episode number 52 of the Sless on Podcast. Of course, uh, we are on uh, the road to Qatar. Uh, two final World Cup qualifiers left on the schedule. Uh, November the 14th against Serbia, but uh, we will be talking about the one that is happening in just a couple of days as of uh, from this recording on November the 11th in Dublin against Ireland. And to uh, to talk to us about that and preview the match against the Irish is uh, Fergal Brennan. Uh, Fergal is a uh, host uh, on a sports social. He hosts the uh, football social daily podcast, uh, the only daily <coughs> Premier League podcast uh, anywhere. Uh, and uh, Fergal, we appreciate your time, and uh, thank you so much for joining us on this Less On podcast. Not a problem. Um, I wish I was uh, kind of speaking from the perspective of an Ireland fan that has uh, a bit more to play for in the last two games, but unfortunately, um, Ireland's road to Qatar is is over. Portugal have got a few more steps to go, but uh, for Ireland, it's, it's playing for pride uh, in, in these last two games. And you know, we'll we'll discuss we'll discuss uh, that uh, a little bit in the in the interview. You know, I, I, I this is not meant to to be in any kind of disrespect, but since 2000, Portugal has been playing and putting themselves in tournaments. Uh, you know, qualification phase after qualification phase, it's been a bit tougher for for Ireland. But we'll get to we'll get to that part of it a little bit later. But um, six matches into qualification uh, for both for both nations, um, Portugal has a game in hand on Serbia. They, uh, of course, the big matchup, uh, the winner take all. Uh, matchup on uh, uh, November the 14th, but uh, for Ireland, five points in six matches, two to play. Um, how would you characterize um, these these World Cup qualifiers for for Ireland under manager uh, Stephen uh, Kenny? And what were the expectations uh, for the Irish FA um, heading into World Cup qualifying? Um, I mean, there's no there's no way to dress it up in terms of what the end results. You've you've laid it bare there. Five points from six games in in World Cup qualifying is 
is poor. Um, it is it is massively disappointing. Yes, you know, obviously I take the point that Ireland, in terms of expectations and where they might think they are in the, in the ranking of world teams and qualification for major tournaments, they are some distance behind the likes of Portugal. Um, I think one of the big issues, Irish football tends to be very polarising within the fan base and within the media, um, stretching all the way back to Jack Charlton and Mick McCarthy in, in 2002 at the World Cup, because what's actually happened with Stephen Kenny, there's been a, a very strong Kenny in and a very strong Kenny out um, kind of push, particularly in the last six to 12 months when results haven't really um improved massively prior to, to the last window. I think the defeat to Luxembourg in Dublin at the start of 2021 was a, was a big low point, a real kind of rock bottom moment. But essentially my take on this, and I, I think it probably is the majority, not a significant majority, but the majority is that Irish football for many reasons has been broken for a, for a long time. Um, and we needed changes within the system, changes within the FAI, how things were done, how players were developed, how they were coached, the demands, the standards, the funding, everything. The um, the, the Irish men's team, the senior team, is just the, the top of the tree when it comes to all that. Obviously, there is going to be a huge amount of focus on uh, on Kenny and on the players, uh, etc. But it is poor. It is. The, the fact that we're coming out of this uh, qualification campaign with, with so few points is obviously a massive disappointment. There's, there's no way to put it differently. But in order for the changes that have had to happen within Irish football and within the Irish national team, we have to suffer because the, the path that Irish football was on previously at the end of, of Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane's time in charge was a very worrying place because it was in danger of just going off a cliff. Stephen Kenny has, has been quite radical in what he's tried to do and tried to change things. And he's he's taken a lot of, of, of abuse, essentially, um, because of that. But we generally just have to essentially take this on the chin because there is no other way to enact change and look to really revolutionise the, the direction that Irish football is going in other than taking these types of things. Losing against Luxembourg, no, that's not acceptable. But Irish football has needed changes. And for those changes to come in, we have had to take the hard road, but the signs based on the last window are that things are becoming more positive. Um, just to probably to wrap up a bit of a long-winded point, apologies. Um, I don't think Ireland ever had any expectations of winning the group. Uh, Portugal are a much better team full of international players that play in the Premier League and the Champions League and, and across Europe. But the expectation generally with Ireland is that they'll scrap with the second seed for second place. And I think, to be honest, the, the gap between ourselves and Serbia is bigger than people would have predicted at the start of qualification because Serbia are a very, very good team. You know, you know, for you, you mentioned um, how the, you know, the Irish Federation right now kind of has to suffer, kind of has to take it on the chin to kind of get things going. And for, for all intents and purposes, there, there is that feeling that, that, that Stephen Kenny may be maybe not on the precipice of something big, but just something of turning it around um, considering the last few regimes. Um, there's a big gap from the end of World Cup qualifying to qualifying for the Euros in 2024. I believe <coughs> qualification starts in in March of, of 2023. Um, you do have Nations League uh, group uh, group play beginning again in in the summer of uh, of 2022. What is it that you would like to see, and and what is the direction that you would like to see uh, Irish football either continue? in the way Stephen Kenny is doing it, or, or maybe something, you know, maybe something a little different than what they're doing right now. 
think the positivity that's that's come from the last few months, maintaining that, ensuring that we don't go into a dark winter where there's months and months of no international football. There's, I think, maybe a friendlies break in, in March. And then, as you say, the, the Nations League kicks in next summer. Um, maintaining that is absolutely essential because if if this is allowed to drift and if the negativity does start to seep in then we go back to square one in terms of where the Irish team is the kind of attitude surrounding the fans and for me I think it's it's telling how positive fans are about the change Ireland are already out of the running for the World Cup these last two games are dead rubbers there's, there's no chance of qualification the Aviva was packed um for the last round of uh, home games uh, against um Azerbaijan and, and Qatar, they'll be packed again against Portugal. Yes, obviously, there's a kind of knock-on in terms of COVID that fans want to get back to stadiums and watching games. Ireland can't buy a win in the last 12 to 18 months, but yet I've never seen the fan base as positive. The, the positive ones, I've never seen them as positive as they are right now. And and for me, that's it. Um, uh, Stephen Kenny's going to sit down with the FAI in December um, for talks about extending his contract. I think it does seem to be going towards the direction that he will be retained, that he is going to be the man to lead Ireland for the for the qualifiers for Euro 2024. Um, and I agree with that decision wholeheartedly um, in terms of the direction that he's taking the team in. I think those are the priorities. Speculation over Stephen Kenny's future needs to stop. That meeting with the FAI needs to be done, dusted, signed off. And the fans and the players need to be assured that this is this is what is going to happen for qualification for, for 2024. And Stephen Kenny himself has been quite honest at points during his tenure. He said that based on the average age of his team and based on the changes, the amount of changes that he's trying to bring in, 2024 is a way more realistic target than the World Cup in, in Qatar in, in 2022. We're talking with uh, Fergal Brennan here on uh, episode number 51, or excuse me, 52 of the uh, Celeste Song podcast. I'm your host, Danny Pinto. Uh, we are previewing uh, the uh, matchup, the upcoming matchup between Ireland uh, and Portugal. Ireland hosting in Dublin on November the 11th. You can follow Fergal uh, on uh, on Twitter uh, at F E A R G A L B R E N Fergal Bren on Twitter. Um, you know I, there is some some positivity coming from the from uh, from the Irish Federation, uh, but let's go to um, you know. Taking the uh, taking victory right from uh, from Irish hands, um, the last go around this last or it's a, for all intents and purposes the first leg of this uh, Irish uh, Portuguese uh, fixture. Um, two minutes away from uh, from three points, a massive three points um, under under Stephen Kenny, only to see Ronaldo not only uh, tie the record but then set the record uh, international scoring record uh, to give Portugal the three points. What was your and many Irish fans' reaction to the way that uh, that match went down uh, in Portugal? I, I wanted to vomit, to be to be honest. Uh, when we went into added, <laughs> yeah, honestly, we, we went into added oh. time. I actually got up, not out of confidence or, or arrogance. I actually got up and went to the bar just as it was going into added time, and I was waiting on my beers, looking at the screen, looking at the screen, and then he equalised. And I thought, don't panic, don't panic, you know. Portugal were kind of laying it on thick and we were hanging on and hanging on in the last 10 minutes. By the time I'd paid for the two beers, carried them back over to the table and sat down, Ronaldo had scored the winner. Um, mm. So yeah, it was, yeah, it was sickening. I'm not, you know, again, I, I can't change, uh, change the reality <laughs> that a lot of Island fans would have felt because for me, 
in terms of performances, that is the best performance Ireland have turned in under Stephen Kenny. And it is also kind of frustrating because Ireland do have this reputation as being the kind of glorious loser, uh, which is frustrating because, you know, it's to hark back to the Roy Keane kind of comments that he made about Ireland and things that Irish fans and players would just accept because... Uh, because they you know, didn't know any better, that Stephen Kenny has tried to drive that mentality out of the team. But again, in terms of performance, you know, I'm looking back over some of the key numbers. Portugal did dominate in terms of possession. They had more chances and more shots, but Ireland were excellent. There was four or five chances. Aaron Connolly missed two really good chances uh, to win it after John Egan got, got the opening goal. Um, we should have won. And that's not a reflection of Ireland being a better side than Portugal. But I think based on the 90 minutes, Ireland deserved it because they created more chances. They looked to take the game to Portugal. Um, and these are world-class players for Portugal that Ireland either kept quiet, with the exception of Ronaldo in the final few minutes, or challenged Aaron Connolly up against Pepe. He found it really difficult to deal with him. Adam Ida, who's, who's 19, barely played any Premier League football. He gave Ruben Diaz a, a really, really hard night. So it was frustrating, um, and particularly the way that it happened. But Again, you, you're dealing with someone like Cristiano Ronaldo. His records, his numbers, his performances. You see it now with Manchester United this season. He can do it. That's what he's in the Man United team for. That's what he's in the Portugal team for. When those big moments pop up, nine, nine and a half times out of ten, he he delivers. And, and he did deliver. Sickening as it was for me uh, as an Ireland fan watching it, when you're a Portugal fan, I, I assume it gives you so much confidence to know that if a chance pops up and he's around, it's probably going to be a goal. Yeah, it's it's always nice to have a player of his uh, of his stature in your in your back pocket, so to speak. Um, and and no better example than than him pretty much saving uh, and and pretty much robbing Ireland of uh, of three points. Not only one point, but all three points because it, it was definitely looking uh, like a a positive result for Ireland uh, up until the very end. Is is that is that something that? You know, uh, this this team and, and Stephen Kenny can can take into uh, this upcoming matchup um, with uh, with Portugal on Thursday, where you know he can go he, he can go to his team and say, "Hey, we were in Portugal. We went up against one of the best teams in the world. We nearly got the three points. They're coming to Ireland now. Um, is is there more? Even though it was it was in defeat, is there a lot more positivity that can be taken away uh, from a match like that than maybe?" under previous regimes? Yeah, of course. I mean, he, he essentially said it in his in his post-match press conference where he was obviously frustrated, disappointed to lose the game and, and particularly in the way that we did lose it. But he was able to go into the dressing room after the match and say to the players, you know, you stood toe-to-toe with some of the best players in the world for 89, 90 minutes and deserve to win. You didn't, but this proves that you can do it. And like some of the names of, of players that played that night, Young players, some of them are not even playing in the top flight in England. They're playing in the Championship or with Jamie McGrath, for example, who's playing in the Scottish uh, Premiership. And the, the big moment or the big story for me uh, was Gavin Bazunu. Gavin Bazunu, who's, I think he's 19, 19, 20. He's on loan from Manchester City at Portsmouth, saving a penalty from Cristiano Ronaldo. And he was outstanding that night. He made two or three more saves and then he was very good um, ever since. And you're talking about a teenager saving a penalty from one of the best players in the history of football. That, if, if you can't take a positive from that and you can't take a bounce factor and a motivation factor from that, then, then there's a big problem. And I think that then married up with um, the positive results from the last international window, beating Azerbaijan away from home, beating Qatar in the friendly. And the Serbia game, wasn't a particularly good watch. Uh, I actually think we were quite lucky to get a point. It was a really bizarre own goal. 
But generally speaking, I think on the back of the Luxembourg game at the start of the year, things have started to turn because that was rock bottom. We haven't lost other than the Portugal game since then. And that seems to be slowly turning things. So I do look at this game uh, in Dublin where Portugal still have something on the table to play for in terms of qualification. But you've got players in the Ireland team that, that Stephen Kenny can say to them, you can go toe-to-toe with, with these players. Josh Cullen can go toe-to-toe with Bruno Fernandes for 90 minutes. Adam Ida, Ruben Diaz, um, Andrew Omobamadile against Ronaldo, Gavin Bazunu, who we're reminding him of saving that penalty. You saved the penalty from Ronaldo in the last game. Go out there and show them again why you deserve to be to be an international footballer. The, the script, the, the pre-game talk writes itself and fans back in the Aviva, there's an increase from last time round due to the, the COVID rules being relaxed. It'll be loud, it'll be noisy and uh, and I think they'll make it really, really difficult for Portugal on the night. We're talking with Fergal Brennan here on episode number 52 of the Celeste Home Podcast. You can follow Fergal on Twitter at Fergal Bren. That's F-E-A-R-G-A-L. B R E N. We are previewing the uh, the matchup between Ireland and Portugal in World Cup qualifying. Two more matches for each of the nations as uh, Portugal look to uh, to qualify directly uh, through these last two matches. While Ireland is out of the running, but still trying to build towards the future. Um, if if I could ask you for a prediction, Fergal, how do you think uh, it goes uh, in Dublin on on Thursday night? Oof. Um, I mean. Again, logically, you look at Portugal, you look at their team, you would go for a Portugal win. But I remember back qualifying for the 2002 World Cup um, when Ireland did have a, a much better team with the likes of Roy Keane, Robbie Keane. We, we drew one all in Dublin and we drew one all in, in Lisbon and, and got a place at the World Cup ahead of the Netherlands. So I'm going to go for one all. It's it's kind of a little bit of a running joke with Ireland fans that it's Ireland's favourite score, one all. Everyone goes home as friends and, and nobody gets beat. Um, but I I do. I, I'm going to go for a one all because that's what I think. That's what I'd like. But I look at the situation with with Portugal in terms of qualification. Serbia are still on their shoulder. Um, I know you have to play uh, Serbia in the final game, so you've got a lot of really ruthless players, particularly Fernandez and Ronaldo, that will, if they can get the job pretty much done in Dublin in terms of qualifying for Qatar, they'll want to. But I do. I, I would hang my hat on a one all. I think, and I think if Stephen Kenny could get that that'd be another big boost of positivity that the, that the project is, is moving in the right direction. Yeah. From the, from the Portugal perspective, uh, you know, this, this result um, can shift exactly how they attack that Serbia match at the end, because right now they are a point behind Serbia. They do have a match in hand. Um, if they, if they enter um, still a point behind on that last, on that last game, if Ireland wins, then obviously it's all hands on deck in that in that match against uh, in that match in, in Lisbon. If uh, they draw as you predicted, then they're uh, they are tied on points, and then it's all to play for um, in terms of uh, in terms of uh, a direct uh, qualification for both nations. So it's it's definitely an, an important result for uh, for Portugal. I if I had to predict myself, I would I would assume um, you know just talent for talent. I would I would uh, assume a, a Portugal victory, but. Uh, given the way that uh, that Ireland played uh, in September in uh, in Portugal, uh, I would say nothing is is uh, ever a guarantee in terms of uh, you know a a match being played and uh, and predicted on paper. So it'll definitely be interesting to see. Uh, Fergal, quickly, I wanted to just kind of get a, a little bit of background on on what uh, what you, what you guys are doing over at uh, Football Social Daily and and Sports Social, um, just how it came about and and your involvement uh, uh, with the podcast. 
So uh, Football Social Daily is a, a daily, as, as you mentioned at the top of the, the podcast, it's the only daily Premier League podcast that we we work with uh, through Amazon. Um, so it's just a kind of daily chat of Premier League news, gossip, transfers, um, etc. At the moment, obviously, with the international break, there's a little bit of a quieter period. But we do a show every day. So right the way through the week, it will be some of the deeper stories, breaking news, transfer links, and then build up to the weekend. Um, on a Saturday, we do a special show called The Dugout, uh, which involves former footballers coming and giving their insights on on some of the talking points in the Premier League and obviously previewing the matches that weekend. And then on a Sunday, which is generally my show, we do a weekend review, um, go back over all the games. And obviously at the minute, in terms of the Premier League, there's a huge amount going on. So a Sunday night is, is a really good time to just sit down and just get it all out on the table um, in terms of what's going on in the Premier League. So, yeah, it is, it's a really, really enjoyable podcast. Um, sport... Um, the Sports Social is our is our base on Twitter. If you want to follow it, there's links to the podcast directly in there. And there's a podcast network um, also through the Sports Social, which is hundreds and hundreds of podcasts, not just on football, um, athletics, speedway, boxing, rugby, uh, all sorts. If you, uh, if you like a bit of football, but you also like something else. So definitely, definitely check it out. Yeah, we'll make sure to put those uh, all those links in our in our show description uh, so that everyone uh, can check you out, Fergal. And, uh, and obviously... Um, a, a daily, uh, a daily Premier League podcast. I listened to uh, a little bit of uh, of Tuesday's uh, episode. Guys, Fergal's not a big fan of the international break. He's just not. <laughs> he'd rather he'd much rather be talking about uh, Premier League football than uh, than than an international break. They've they've come hot and heavy in the uh, in the last eighteen to eighteen months to two years. Uh, Fergal with the uh, introduction of the uh, the Nations League as well, but. Uh, but obviously, a daily a Premier League podcast much much better during a week where there's Premier League games uh, on on the horizon. I would say, of course, yeah, for definitely. <laughs> I I do enjoy the international break, but generally it's a it's a, a difficult one for me because I love watching Ireland. But generally speaking, it's not always a happy uh, break. So that's kind of I have a I have a love hate relationship with it with the international break. Sure, absolutely. Well, uh, we greatly appreciate you spending some time with us uh, previewing the uh, the match uh, between uh, Ireland. And Portugal again. Follow Fergal on Twitter at Fergal Brand. That's F E A R G A L B R E N. Fergal Brennan, uh, my thanks to you, and uh, hope to have you uh, back on this uh, podcast uh, sometime very soon. Not a problem. Thanks so much. Okay, so we've gotten the Irish perspective on the upcoming game on november the 11th but all eyes will be in lisboa uh whether the uh, slesson uh wins draws or loses in dublin because for all intents and purposes the match against serbia is for all the marbles and who will get to uh the uh world cup next year directly as group a winners and to discuss the serbian side of things is uh, milos dusanovic uh, he is uh, one of the hosts of the Serbian Football Show, and you can follow uh, Milos on uh, Twitter at Serbian Footy. That's S E R B I A N F O O T Y. Milos, really appreciate you making some time for us on episode number fifty-two of this Lesson Podcast. How are you? Good. Happy to be here. Excited to talk about some football. Yeah, absolutely, man. And uh, yeah, what a just an absolutely. Huge match coming up on the 14th for both our nations. Obviously, uh, both teams have qualified uh, at the very least for a playoff spot, but um, there's not a lot uh, not a lot better than than having two teams 
playing for something uh, at, at the international level. Yeah, this is amazing, right? How often do you decide the group in the last game? Um, well, yeah, um, I mean, doesn't I don't remember really happening that often in our qualifying campaigns. Uh, so it's it's kind of like the the big grand final. So a lot of anticipation, and of course, our, you guys have one game left against Ireland in Dublin, which is not going to be easy. But even if you you know don't get a result in that game, you you can still beat us and go into first place right so yeah as you mentioned it is for all the marbles it's such a, a important match and i know i'm pretty nervous uh, i'm assuming you guys are nervous well less nervous than we are because you're, you're the favorites but still nervous and anticipating uh, a huge match listen man when when the uh, when the job is not all the way done the nerves are always there no matter who you are so yeah, looking forward, obviously, to the matchup on, on, on yeah, the 14th. You guys are no strangers to the playoffs, right? So, <laughs> yeah, you know, but you know, we haven't we haven't been to one in a while, and I and you know, with all due respect, Milos, I, I kind of want to keep it that way. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, let's talk about Serbia. They they're currently uh, sitting atop Group A, one point ahead of Portugal. Uh, obviously, Portugal, as as we mentioned, has that game in hand um, against Ireland before the 14th, but. Uh, heading into this uh, this final match for for Serbia in terms of qualifying, uh, how would you assess uh, this current uh, World Cup qualifying campaign? I, I think it's been one of our better campaigns in a while. Uh, we have a new manager, Dragan Stojkovic. The players are you know buying into his vision and his system. We've been playing some good football. Um, we haven't lost a game yet, and even you know the games that we drop points, you know we could have well. Maybe not the game is Portugal. That was a draw. We could have lost at the end there if it was VAR was in, was uh, in, in function. You but don't. You game... don't say. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the game against Ireland that was a draw. I mean, we missed like forty-five, not forty-five, but at least eight eight solid hundred percent chances. You know, their goalie had an amazing game. So even even in that game, we we should have won comfortably. But you know, just bad finishing and an unfortunate own goal led to a draw, uh, which kind of, you know, messed up our, messed up our chance of getting into getting first place, but we, we're still alive. It's been a very positive campaign so far. Generally our campaigns are full of uh, drama and, and scandals and coaching changes, but this one has been fairly um, normal, which is great, which is a positive. We just asked for normal, uh, nothing crazy to happen, you know, no fights, no, no massive scandals, and that's what we've gotten so far. And we've gotten some good football. We have a really uh, strong team, I believe, our, our strongest team in, in, in some years. And uh, I think we're just going to keep improving because we have a young core of players now that is just coming into its own. And I think if things go the way we hope they go, this is just going to be a building block for uh, the next couple of cycles where we'll really uh, come into form and, and be one of the better sides in Europe. You know, let, let's talk about some of those players as, you know, like Serbia, m much like Portugal, it's the, it's a small country. I mean, Serbia in terms of population is even smaller than uh, than Portugal. I think Portugal is just around 11 million. I think Serbia right around seven. But yet both countries are producing uh, great talent and great players. And, and for you guys, it's it's SMS. It's it's uh, Velahovic. It's, you know, the the leading scorer for not only Serbia all time, but the current Group A leading scorer. And Alexander Mitrovic, your captain Dusan Tadic, and, and and others, who were some of the names that you know maybe football fans aren't yet um, 
aware of on the Serbian side and uh, who who could uh, who could not only play a part in the game on the 14th but obviously for for Serbia in the future. Yeah, I think you know most of our players are pretty well known. You know, there's Kostic from Eintracht Frankfurt who's one of the you know the best wingers in, in the Bundesliga. He's great one of the best crossers in Europe. And then there's uh, Radenic who plays for Benfica. Well, he's not really playing much, but he's he's played a bit more as of late. So many Portuguese fans will be familiar with him. A lot of pace. Um, we always have good young players coming through. We always produce good players. It's just about finding a system and you know making it all fit, which we haven't been able to do for for a long time. Um, there's also Nikola Milenkovic who plays for Fiorentina. He's a defender. Uh, he's got a lot of potential. Um, so, yeah, we, we do have a lot of talent in, in this generation, of, a lot more talent in attack and midfield, of course, unfortunately, and not not as much in, 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 at the back, which is our main weakness as we our, our defense has not been very good this qualifying campaign or, you know, the last 10 years in general. Um, so that's that's our main problem. And that's you know the area that we need some reinforcements in and, and we need some serious work in. We're talking with uh, Milos Dusanovic, who is the host of the Serbian Football Show. You can find that on YouTube, and you can find uh, Milos's uh, Twitter handle uh, at Serbian Footy. That's S E R B I N B I A N. Excuse me, uh, F O O T Y. Uh, we are uh, obviously talking about the big matchup uh, this coming, uh, you know, in the next few days, the 14th. But let's go back, uh, Milos, to the to the match uh, in Belgrade in March, where. Portugal got out to that 2 nothing lead on goals uh, from Diogo Jota. And then a minute into the second half, um, you know, uh, Serbia pulls one back and it's, and then it's all level um, for, uh, for the next half hour uh, as they tied at the, uh, at the 60 minute mark. And then, you know, the controversy with, with Ronaldo's goal uh, on many replays going over the line, but with no VAR, as, as you mentioned, uh, the referee thought they did not cross the line. And obviously we get to the, the two, two, uh, result. Um, obviously, <laughs> Portuguese fans and Serbian fans are going to have very different perspectives on, on this match and on the result. But what was your reaction and what was like the overall Serbian side reaction uh, to how everything went down in Belgrade? Well, I think we played really well, um, creating a lot of chances in that game. Um, in the first half, I mean, Portugal scored on the only two chances Portugal had, and both those goals were just you know, Jota beat beat his man on a header <laughs> and, and the defender was out of position. So I don't think we played bad that game. In the second half, we were, I think we were definitely the better team and we were much better until the end. And then, you know, last like five, 10 minutes, Portugal had a bit more of the control. And then out of nowhere, that last chance for Ronaldo that, you know, I prefer not talk about. <laughs> but uh, I think we played really well. I think we held our own. There was that period, for, I think the first 20 minutes of the of the second half, we were just all over Portugal, could have scored yep. another goal. Um, so, yeah, it was one of one of our, you know, those 20 minutes were some of the best football we played in a long time, I would say. So um, it was definitely encouraging. And that was what started, basically started our, our good campaign. And I think the confidence that the team gained from that performance and from showing that, you know, they can play with Portugal, uh, it's only carried through to the other games. And, and we've had a pretty comfortable, I would say, qualifying cycle so far, despite the unlucky uh, draw in Dublin. But I think, yeah, 
I was very happy with that performance. Um, obviously, it could have left a bad taste in our mouth if that last goal was was counted. But even even if it did count, I think we would have still been, you know, happy with the overall performance. Not happy that we lost at the end, but it, not much to complain about when your your team plays a good attacking football against a team like Portugal. Yeah, I, I'll. I guess from the from the Portugal perspective, it, you know, everyone talks about that goal uh, that was that was not allowed and. For me, it's you know, that that's one of those things where it's like you, you just can't uh, you can't control. It's a mistake um, on the on the referee side. You know, obviously, it's it's on on my opinion uh, from our opinion here. But the thing that bothered me most about that that result was, you know, being able to get to a two nil lead in arguably your 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 toughest opponent's um, home uh, home stadium, mm-hmm. and then to just right out of the I mean, it's. I thought the first goal uh, for Serbia set the tone, obviously, for the second half because I think I think uh, Portugal was just absolutely stunned by how quickly they gave, they gave up. They gave up, I should say, that first goal, and I kind of felt like they were on kind of roller skates mm-hmm. um, for the next half hour or so until the until they the very end when they started controlling again. But um, you know, yeah, it it, it should have been a goal, should have been three points, but I don't think. Portugal put, should have put themselves in that position to have a, a call like that cost them a game. That's that's the perspective on my end. Yeah, and I remember the last time we played in Lisbon, it was uh, the, the last qualifying campaign when it was 1-1 and we got that early penalty. Well, in that game, you know, it was the same result, but um, in that game you guys were pretty dominant and we just had an amazing goalkeeping performance. Um, from uh, Marco Dimitrovic, who saved, you know, had a, like a 10 out of 10 goalkeeping performance in that game to give us a point. In the end, it didn't help us in qualifying. But uh, yeah, it just it was a lot like that. That game compared to this game was a lot different since and it just shows that we've grown a lot as a team since that qualifying campaign. Yeah, we're talking with uh, Milos Dusanovic uh, from the uh, Serbian football show. He's uh, kind of kind enough to give us uh, a couple of minutes here. On episode number fifty-two of the Celeste podcast, I am your host Danny Pinto. Uh, Milos, you know both of our our teams have, at the very least, as we mentioned, at least qualified and clinched. I should say a a playoff spot um, for next year's World Cup. But what would winning the group and qualifying directly uh, say about the direction and the leadership of this Serbian national team? And on the other side, uh, how much disappointment would there be? if Serbia leaves Portugal uh, finishing in second and having to try to qualify via the playoff? I don't think there would be a lot of disappointment because I think realistically, you know, most people don't expect us to get a victory in in, uh, Lisbon. But if we do win in Lisbon, I think it will be massive for our football. I think something the fans have have kind of in the last couple of years given up on the national team after a lot of disappointing results um, and losing to teams that, you know, we, we simply have way more talent than and should not be losing to and, and failing in qualifying campaigns, especially for the Euros, the last Euros, you know, we lost uh, and the playoff final to Scotland on penalties, which was just a heartbreaking loss. So over the years, fans have just been continuously let down. Uh, we haven't been winning the big games. We haven't been winning the important games. So there's been a lot of dissatisfaction and disinterest in the national team. I think if we beat Portugal, it will create a new boom of Serbian football. 
I think the fans will come back. I, I, the like it was going to be it will be like a a giant year long celebration basically, and it would just be it would be a rebirth of our national team, in my opinion, and it, it would be something that that would be historic because uh, to beat a team like that in a deciding game and, and clinch a spot in the World Cup, uh, it would just you know it would be a dream movie scenario for us, and and I think the trajectory of our team has been good we finally have a manager who seems capable who the players are behind who supports his players who's professional who's not you know a lot of our other managers they often weren't very professional they kept talking you know nonsense in the media calling out players uh, and playing all sorts of games but now we have a manager who's a professional who knows what he's doing who has a plan who has a vision who has shown on the pitch that that he's not afraid of our opponents and that he can play a good attacking football. So I think if we just keep things the way they are, even if we don't get the results in Lisbon, we will be fine. I, I like our chances in qualifying through the playoffs anyways. Um, I, I don't think there's a team in the playoff who has uh, a lot more talent than us. They might be even with us or close to even with us, and, and I give us a, a great chance against anybody in the playoffs. So as long as we put in a good performance, as long as we, we have a, a showing that we can be proud of, I think it'll just add to our momentum and our confidence and help us get to the World Cup in the end. Well, let's let's talk about the let's talk about the match um, on Sunday. Um, how do you think, or do you think Portugal's performance or result in Ireland um, will will influence how uh, Serbia comes out tact- tactically against Portugal? And should it influence Serbia's uh, philosophy, depending on Portugal's result in Ireland? I don't think so. I think all of our games so far, our tactics have been very attacking, even against Portugal in the first game. So I, I think we'll, we will attack no matter what. And, you know, the game in Ireland, it is a pretty important game for Portugal because you guys have a lot of guys on uh, one game, one uh, card away from suspension. Yep, and we have about three, six. Three of your, yeah, three of your your defenders. I think uh, Diaz, uh, I think Cancelo and, uh, and, and Font. Font, yeah, all all of them are one card away from suspension. So it could have a lot of implications on the game on Sunday, right? Because if you don't have your your best two center backs against Mitrovic and Lockwich, it's going to be a long night. Sure. Um, and so you know that is a very interesting game for us. But I don't think if you even if you lose in Dublin, I don't think it'll have any impact on how we play, or at least it shouldn't because we haven't played defensive all qualifiers. So if all of a sudden we tried to you know bunker up and, and get a zero zero, I don't even think it would work because it's just not something that the team has done under this manager. So it it could just terribly backfire it's better if we just play the way we've been playing and, and try to play some good football and try to attack and whatever happens it happens all right so let, let's get a prediction from you does uh, does serbia qualify directly to the world cup or are they uh, are, are they bound to qualify for the world cup uh, via the playoff you know in my heart <laughs> i want to believe I, I want you know i want to have the best sunday of my life but yeah i, I don't know i, I think it's going to be like a, a, another 2-2 or a 3-2 or a 3-3 um i give us like a 
probably have like a 10% chance of winning. Unfortunately, um, in the end, I, I think it'll be another like two, two and we'll, we'll have a lot of confidence. We'll, we would have played a good game. Would have probably felt hard done by some of the chances we missed and, and whatnot. Uh, but I think Portugal at home in such an important game with such an experienced team, uh, I think you guys will probably hold on to a result that you need and we'll be in, in the playoff. Well, for, for your sake, I'm just hoping that Daniel Freire doesn't hit a 30-yarder like he did uh, in qualifying the last time to, yeah. to tie the game <laughs> to tie the game up here. But um, real quick before we let you go, man, um, just talk to us about how uh, how uh, you started um, the uh, the Serbian football show and your your involvement with the Serbian football show and uh, and uh, your your follow on, on Twitter. I think uh, the the account now is well over twenty thousand. So uh, how uh, how did this all come about? Um, yeah, I just like 10 years ago, I just got a Blackberry and downloaded Twitter and a Blackberry. What is that? <laughs> yeah. That's how long, a long time it's not, ago. It's not one of those rotary phones, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a long time. Yeah. So I just, just started tweeting about Serbian football and then I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even sure. I just got just over time it just grew and grew. And now we have a very large and very, very awesome community that we built serves from all over the world even people that aren't serbian that are you know hardcore fans of serbian football on the national team a lot of our followers you know they travel over the world following the team a lot of the people have become friends uh, so it's it's really been amazing i didn't expect to get you know 10 followers let alone 21 or whatever i have right now so it's pretty amazing um hopefully we can, uh, you know, qualify for the World Cup and get even more followers and, and build an even larger uh, fan base fan base for for our, for our Twitter and for uh, the national team in general because uh, yeah, it's a great representation representation of our uh, country and, and of our people and you know as you guys know you know I'm, I'm sure the last Euros when Portugal won was an amazing uh, national unity moment and the unification of all of Portuguese people around the world I know. I live here in the Toronto area. There's a million Portuguese people, and they were all <laughs> the happiest people in the world for for that, you know, the the month after. So, um, hopefully, we can experience that ourselves and uh, and have uh, some good times also. Well, Milos, man, I, honestly, I, I greatly appreciate your time. Uh, really, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I'm I'm not going to wish you much luck on Sunday, but what I do wish is that both our nations are uh, are playing in. Uh, in Qatar in the, uh, in the winter of next year, because, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, when I, when I talk to a good dude, I always want, you know, something good to happen uh, to them. And especially when they give us some time here on the podcast. So really appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, let's, let's have a good match on Sunday. Hopefully, hopefully injury free for everybody. And, uh, hopefully we have both our teams in the, in the world cup n- next year. Thank you so much. Yes. Let's, let's both qualify. And, uh, you guys, thanks for your time. Have a great day. And my thanks to Fergal and Milos for helping us preview the matches against Ireland and Serbia. Please give uh, both of those gentlemen a follow on Twitter. You can follow Fergal uh, Brennan uh, on Twitter at Fergal Bren. That's uh, F-E-A-R-G-A-L-B-R-E-N. And you can follow Milos on uh, on Twitter at Serbian Footy. That's S-E-R-B-I-A-N-F-O-O-T-Y. Um you know, prediction time. Obviously, uh, it's it's not uh, very shocking where I'm leaning here. Um, I think Portugal is going to win the group. Uh, I do think they're going to get victories in both of these matches and win the group by five points, and uh, and they will be off to Qatar 
as one of the top seeds in next year's tournament. Um, just too much talent, uh, too much, uh, too much quality for for either for either Ireland uh, or Serbia, and uh, and sitting atop the uh, the group um, should be the expectation for for the players, for the coaches, and especially for the for the fans. As uh, you know, it's uh, it's getting closer to uh, you know probably Ronaldo's last chance as uh, as a uh, as a World Cup winner. So uh, let's see if we can't give him uh, the best opportunity as a top seed uh, in the World Cup and then just uh, see how the tournament plays out uh, next November. Uh, some other news before we uh, end things here on episode number 52 of the uh, Slesson podcast. Uh, the under-21s, uh, they continue their qualifying campaign for uh, the European Championships in uh, of 2023. Uh, the Slesson will sit, or they sit atop, uh, their group, uh, they are uh, on nine points in three games, so they're three for three. Uh, their next two group matches are both against Cyprus, Friday the 12th away at Cyprus, and then uh, back in Portugal for uh, the uh, return fixture on Tuesday, November the 16th. They will be without uh, manager uh, Rui Jorge, who um, on Wednesday morning, the 10th, uh, as of this uh, recording, um, he has contracted or tested positive, I should say, uh, for COVID-19. Uh, no uh, word on uh, how he's doing uh, other than just uh, that he has uh, tested positive for it. So uh, we hope all the best for Hui um, George on a speedy recovery and uh, wish nothing but the best for the team in these two upcoming fixtures in uh, the uh, under-21 European uh, tournament qualifiers. So um, also some women's national team news, uh, which we don't do a lot of, but they currently sit second and have two upcoming World Cup qualifiers of their own um, as they try to qualify for the World Cup for the first time. Uh, both matches will be in Portugal uh, later this month. November the 25th, they play against uh, Israel, and then November the 30th against group leaders Germany. Uh, Portugal are two points behind uh, Germany. Germany uh, four for four for 12 points so far. Uh, Portugal has uh, three wins and one draw in their first four uh, matches for 10 points. Uh, six uh, matches remain uh, in their group. Uh, group winners go uh, directly to the World Cup, and uh, the uh, second-place team will go via the playoff to try to qualify. Uh, congratulations are in order to one of the greatest futsal players of all time as Ricardinho officially retired earlier this week um, in a ceremony in Portugal. Uh, he led the Slesson to a European title in 2018, and then a uh, much-deserved and much-anticipated World Cup title just last month. Uh, Umajiku won Best Futsal Player of the Year a record six times and played 18 years for the Slesong, scoring 135 goals in 161 matches. So uh, we bid adieu to o Capitão of Futsal, uh, Ricardinho. Um, also, if you're into this, uh, the FPF on Monday, the uh, the eighth, they released a commemorative jersey celebrating the 100 year anniversary of Portugal's first match in 1921. Uh, there are some people saying, "Well, isn't you know it wasn't the federation uh, you know didn't it start in 1914 or was formed in 1914?" And yes, it was. But the first match was in December of 1921 against Spain, and uh, it's a very cool looking jersey, very retro. Uh, it's uh, it's black with white trim. It has uh, the uh, the Portugal shield over the heart. 
only 500 were produced, and as of Tuesday the 9th, they were already sold out. Um, and I'm happy to announce that I got myself one of them. I never really pull the trigger on any of these things, but um, you know, just you know, you, you see something, you know, the 100 an, uh, 100 year anniversary. Uh, it was also very early in the morning or late at night. I think the time change may have uh, may have got to me when I woke up and I saw the uh, the email from the Federation. I'm like, oh, what's this? And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll get that. And then I went to sleep. And then uh, <laughs> and then when I woke up, I'm like, oh yeah, I did order it. But uh, you know, no buyer's remorse here. It looks very cool. Uh, comes in a, comes in a, a cool commemorative box. I think it even comes with a a a, a, um, a commemorative soccer ball as well. So. Uh, very much looking forward to having that up in the uh, in the new studio uh, at the new house. Uh, on a total side note, speaking of the new house, I have purchased my new house. Uh, we are in the process of moving into said house. Um, we will hopefully have uh, my studio set up, maybe not for this next podcast when we're doing uh, the review of these two matches, but, uh, but we're getting close, folks. We're getting close. Uh, I want to get back to doing uh, YouTube as well. This one obviously not on YouTube. Uh, just on the audio side of things for the podcast, but uh, really looking forward to uh, to getting the show uh, back up to uh, to running on uh, at all on all cylinders. So uh, appreciate everybody's uh, patience there. Um, and finally, some news that's been out for a while, but it's the first time that uh, that uh, I've been able to address it on the pod. As uh, you know, the previous episode was just the interview uh, with with Matthew Marshall of Portugal.net, and and while the interview was great, and I appreciate Matthew's time. Um, Right in the middle of the move, didn't have time to set up as much as I wanted to. So, um, again, just wanted to make sure that uh, I addressed that in case anyone was uh, was wondering. And if you weren't, then I've just wasted a, a, like maybe uh, ninety seconds of your time, which uh, you know you won't get back. And I apologize uh, for that. But uh, but some news that uh, that broke while we were away, and I get to address for the first time. Uh, but how about our buddy Eric Krakauer being named the play-by-play announcer for Charlotte FC? Uh, who begin uh, play in the L- uh, in the uh, MLS next season? Um, you guys know Eric was so gracious with his time this summer uh, with us during uh, w- with us during the Euros, uh, and I'm just so happy for him and, and his family, uh, which is now um, a family of four. As uh, as he and his uh, fiance welcomed um, little Benny in September. Um, you know, Eric had had tweeted out a photo of uh, of little Benny getting uh, his uh, medical tests uh, for probably probably Benfica. Eric uh, signing signing with Benfica uh, very very soon, but uh, we can't uh, we can't say how uh, how happy we are enough for uh, for Eric. He's been an absolute uh, stalwart supporter of this podcast since uh, the inception of it, and uh, it's great to see uh, good people get rewarded for their hard work. So. Uh, all the best to Eric and his uh, ever-growing family um, as they uh, head out to Charlotte in the uh, near future uh, to begin their life as uh, as members of the Charlotte FC family. Uh, Eric, I'm just saying, send me send me a little swag if uh, if you can, a scarf. That's all I'm asking. Maybe a scarf. That's all. You know, the the team in Sacramento for the MLS is uh, it's kind of dragging its uh, its feet, so I may have to. You know, show my allegiance to uh, to someone else here in the very near future, and I'll I'll give I'll give my allegiance to Charlotte FC uh, for a price, of course. So, uh, but uh, but all the best, bud, and uh, and thank you again for uh, for everything you've done for us here on the podcast. So that will do it for episode number fifty-two of this Les Song podcast. My thanks uh, to Fergal Brennan, 
and uh, Milos Dusanovic for uh, their participation in previewing the matches against Ireland and Serbia. Again, all to play for for this last song as we try to directly qualify for the World Cup uh, next November. And it's still so weird to say uh, next November for a, uh, a major tournament, let alone a World Cup. But uh, these are the times we are living in, folks. But uh, yeah, um, again, I expect the Slesong to to win uh, the group. I expect them to qualify directly, and everyone should as well. And uh, just looking forward to uh, seeing the Slesong out on the field uh, once again. Remember to uh, follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Pod, Facebook.com slash Pod. Email the show, Pod at gmail.com. And of course, bookmark our website, Pod. Com and subscribe to us on all of uh, your uh, favorite podcasting platforms. So simple. My name is Danny Pinto. I have been your host of episode number 52 of this Lesson Podcast, a proud partner of Portugal.net and a member of the Blue Wire Hustle Podcasting Network. And as always, Força Portugal!